This is episode number 65 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, myself and one of our core team members, Chris Bellamy, talked with Matt Redman about his latest project, recording in the Abbey Road Studios, and just a lot of solid advice for uh, young worship leaders, new songwriters, just really cool stuff. So we're going to jump straight into it with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 65. So it was great to get to record it. Abbey Road. I've been there a few times in the past to do little things, and I'd always seen that big orchestral room. Thought, man, it would be so good to have church in there one day. Mm. And so, fantastic that we got to record the live album there, and that's really what we did. We invited 350 worship leaders in. Louis Giglio came over to speak, and we just uh, we'd already taught people these new songs. We just had a night of worship and recording the songs, and I guess people see that studio from the outside, and you know. It, maybe it seems like a bit of a souvenir studio, all the nostalgia and all the Beatles stuff. But actually, as well as the fantastic history inside, it's an amazing working environment. All these big rooms, equipment everywhere. And it, it was just a real joy to, to, to get to do what we do, but do it in a place as special as that. That's cool. Was there like a standout moment of the night? I think the standout moment for me was the title song of the album, Unbroken Praise. Mm. The reason being that we only finished it 11 p.m., uh, 11.30 p.m. the night before. Wow. So it's kind of a crazy thing that it became the, the title song of the album. Yeah. Um, I had this half-written song with a friend of mine called Jonas, um, and I thought I was out of time. And the producer said to me the day we were packing up rehearsals, the day before we recorded, he said, hey, you know, me and the band have got your back. And even if you have a new song at this point, even though we stop rehearsing, we'll make a plan. Hmm. And I think it must have been God speaking through him because I was desperate to finish this song, but I thought I'd run out of time. Wow. So Jonas flew in from L.A. We got together at Abbey Road and finished the song that night. And then it was just fantastic to lead it and see it come alive in that moment when people were hearing it for the first time. That's really cool. So you had, you say you had 350 people in Abbey Road Studio with you? Yeah. So there's like a big, um, there's several studios there. There's Studio uh, 2, which is the one where all the Beatles stuff happened. We actually hired that as well, and we did some acoustic videos in there. Um, but then we're in Studio 1. It's the big, uh, you know, the, I think it was opened by Elgar, you know, in the early yeah. 1900s or something. And it's, it's um, you can you can pack about 400 people in there. So we had a stage and string section, band, singers, record label, friends, and then 350 worship leaders. Wow. So it was essentially a live recording in a studio? Yes. Yeah, it was a live recording, yeah. Uh, who, was your, who, was, who was playing on that? Um, so it's, it was my band playing, um, mm-hmm. Jacob Arnold on drums, and James Duke and John Duke, um, guitar and bass, another guitarist Brian Brown, Nathan Knuckles playing keys, who's also the producer, and then some singers, and then a string section, and uh, I think that's it, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so did, you, um, did, you, um, did you have everything written, and then you brought the band in to, to actually arrange the parts, or did you have everything planned out? How did that work? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously... Myself and Nathan Knuckles would steer the arrangements, but my band would contrib- contribute. And also what we like to do is bring in a few people who are outside of um, our normal working 
group. You know, I, my theory is if you just use the same people the whole time, then there's maybe going to be limits on your creativity. Um, so just brought in a couple of other programmers and the string arranger. Um, you know, I, I just, I love it when you can invite someone who's got the same values, they're fighting for the same thing, but they can stir the pot a little bit, maybe help you see some things uh, you wouldn't have seen or come up with some ideas you wouldn't have come up with. And honestly, that happens right from the get-go with the songwriting process. All of these songs are co-writes, and none of them would have turned out like they did if it was just me on my own in a room. It's, you know, it's that iron sharpens iron thing, bringing the best out of each other. Hmm. So, I, so I love how collaborative the whole thing is. And in fact, we tried to reflect that on the album artwork, get everyone who was involved to, to sign. And then uh, we, they're, they're, all their signatures are on the front of the record. Looks a bit like the Abbey Road street sign um, with all the signatures all over it. That's cool. Could you, do you maybe speak a little bit to the, the collaborative process for like a, maybe a local worship leader songwriter, like they're hearing yeah. this and like, I want to, I want to do that. Like, do you have any advice for them to get that started? Yeah. I think the main thing, you've got to find the people who can become your longtime partners. You know, I mean, again, talk about the Beatles. I, I remember Paul McCartney saying that every single time he sat down with John Lennon to write a song, they, they ended with at least one finished song. There wasn't one time they didn't walk away with a song. And I kind of love hearing that. And what I love about it is that is they can both write songs on their own. You know, he was a great writer, McCartney, so was Lennon. But they both knew that they were better together. They both knew that, okay, we've got something going on here, that when we sit down together, we're in a whole different um, flow. And I think that's the thing. You, 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 you can either like be a co-writer who speed dates everyone, you know, and you sit down once for an hour or two and then you never see him again. Or you can maybe be asking God, you know, who are my long time, long term collaborators and just seeing it might be someone who um, is strong in the areas you're not so strong in. For me, I love finding people who are very strong melodically because I don't have as many melodic ideas as I have lyric ideas. Sure, I can write some melody, but I have a, I have friends who I really esteem in that area, and so I'm leaning on them. I'm leaning into their strength. I'm calling on them to to bring something in that area, and I'm, you know, hopefully playing my part too. What do, What do you do to to keep yourself spiritually fueled up? Like, what what are you reading now? What are you listening to? Yes, great. I mean, I, can, I probably have quite eclectic music tastes, <laughs> and I kind of have to. I can't read music, so the only way I can learn is to listen to stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I love all sorts. There's, uh, uh, I mean, for me, the lovely thing is some of my best friends are the people I, hmm. you know, I love what they're doing, especially in the, in the worship sure. uh, song arena, you know, uh, all the Hillsong stuff and um, Chris Tomlin and David Crowder, all Ren Collective, you know, they're always bringing something to the table, which is inspiring. Hmm. Um, so I guess that's my approach, just to have my antennae up, be listening to a lot of stuff, and hopefully some of that will shape me. Sure. Yeah. When you do an album, do you have a feeling, like like when you did uh, the album with 10,000 Reasons, did you have a feeling like this is really going to connect with the local church? And if you do, can you tell on this album like which one you're really thinking is going to connect? Yeah, that's a great question because I am 
I'm absolutely hopeless at identifying <laughs> which songs are going to connect. I'm the, um, you know, Tim Hughes's song "Here I Am to Worship." It, mm. I mean, that must have been the fastest song to fly around the worshiping church around the world you've ever seen. And I, I, he, he, I was the first person he ever played that to. And I think my exact words were, it's quite good. It's not as good as most of your others. <laughs> and so I'm not the man to ask, you know, and uh, it's terrible. In, in fact, what happened was we were at the same church and he, on the strength of my opinion, he put the song away. No. Six months later, he played it to the pastor. The pastor told him, why didn't you play me this earlier? And he, he said, oh, Matt Redman said it wasn't very good. So <laughs> I got wow. in trouble. I got in trouble with the pastor. <laughs> so... And then the same thing, uh, you know, Heart of Worship, I didn't think it was congregational, 10,000 Reasons, I didn't think it was finished, it didn't have a pre-chorus or a bridge, so, you know, it's funny to me that I really miss miss out quite a lot trying to identify which, which songs are the ones which are going to help people hmm. congregationally and get a bit of momentum to them. But I like that, you know, there's something good, because that means I need team, and it also keeps me dependent, you know. Yeah. You can't get into formula. You can't get into, oh, I know how this works now. I mean, you've been leading worship like for so long. Do you have any advice for, I guess, just a, the starting worship leader that, that's kind of getting into it now, like looking at the whole landscape of worship? Do you have any sense of like where, where we're going for the next few years and any advice for the, for the new worship leader? You know, um, when it comes to songwriting, someone said to me once, uh, Brian Dirksen, you know, the great song puts a universal theme in a unique way. Hmm. And I think you can apply that to every area of ministry. And that's what I would say to a young person coming up now. It's like, you can't take, you can't change the core of what we're doing here. We have, there's some very defined things in scripture about who God is, what his names are, what his character and nature is, how he likes to be worshipped, what kind of thing that's he's going to require and desire when it comes to the offerings you bring him. But what you can do, is find your own fresh way, your own fresh take. And it might be uh, a musical thing. Mm. It might be in something to do with the way you put your team together. What, you know, I would say if you're writing your song, if you're putting together a worship team, if you're worship leading, always be asking that question. Okay, um, I'm going to take these universal themes, the things that we should sing about, these biblical, age-old, ancient truths, but I'm going to find a fresh way to express them. I'm going to try to find a way that's going to help them be relevant, you know, to, to someone who's outside the church. I'm going to try and find a way that speaks in people's language. I'm going to try and be poetic. Mm. I'm going to try and be creative. And, and for me, that's the key. That's the ultimate filter to run everything through. And I think that's the thing that will keep things moving on. Sure. Do you think it's important for the local worship leader to spend time songwriting? Or... Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I do personally think every worship leader is a songwriter because – you know, all you're really doing is praying through music. So if you pray and if you write music, then probably you're going to be a worship songwriter. It doesn't mean you have to write songs which are fit for the congregation. I mean, hopefully you will, but you could just do it as a devotional thing. Mm. I think there's a Bible study inside every song, and every song is a devotional moment between you and God. And and then you get the when you get into co-writing, you get into that great thing of fellowship too. So I'd say you know, you probably should be doing it. But then there's a whole other level when you're trying to get things ready for a congregation. Sure. Trying to think about what's going to help people sing. And then becomes a a much uh, 
stronger amount of accountability too, you know, making sure things are watertight and bulletproof theolo yeah. theologically and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, right. I always ask people this question. Um, right now, there seems like there's two schools of thought with worship leaders. Like there's a certain point where you kind of, you're not relevant anymore and you kind of are asked to, you know, step down. And there's other, the other kind of, um, idea that the older you get, the better you get. And, you know, you just never stop refining yourself, which, which, how do you feel about that? That's a great question. Um, I think there's several elements to that. I mean, you know, you do want to keep growing and I, I know, you know, I'll, I'll lead youth conferences still. Mm. And I, I was doing that from the age of 18. So that's sometimes a bit odd to me. In fact, I did a couple this year when my kids were in the congregation and I'm thinking like, is this okay? <laughs> but, but actually I had something back then that I can't do now, but at the same time I have something now that I couldn't do back then. There's a sense of shepherding and pastoring and speaking into lives that I know that I have now that I no way had back then. And so that's one element to it. You just do what you're called to do and God will make it clear when you're not called to do that anymore and people will stop affirming that calling on your life. But the other side of it is you've got to pass it on. And, you know, I love that phrase that says the ceiling of one generation is the floor of the next. And I'd like to think that, you know, where I finish off, maybe someone younger might start off. You know, I know that's true for me. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, people like Graham Kendrick, um, awesome worship songwriter. You know, a lot of what we do these days, I think he might have been the kind of godfather of this movement. But I feel like we're standing on his shoulders and he plowed a lot of ground that we got to reap some stuff. And so it's it's a fascinating dynamic, that. And I think um, ultimately it's about uh, just recognizing when people are affirming the call on your life and you just follow that. That's cool. Could you speak maybe a little bit to the, um, I guess, the relationship you have with like your Bible and Scripture in your songwriting process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, early on when I tried to write songs, because I thought, you know, these need to be biblical, I would take like a portion of Scripture, I guess it usually would be a psalm, and I'd try and write some music to that. It wasn't really working for me. I, I found it, I didn't find the themes of Scripture um restrictive i mean you'll find every human emotion imaginable in there but i found that way of songwriting a little bit restrictive just the structure wise and everything sure and then, and then I, I read this thing by eugene peterson it's in his book under the unpredictable plant which is about jonas um not jonas jonah there you go. <laughs> and, uh, that's my friend hey. um i think that is the swedish version but there you go um <laughs> so he it was um it was called Under the Unpredictable Plant. It's about the life of Jonah. And in this book, he has this part on prayer. And he says, if you look at the prayer of Jonah when he's in the belly of the, the, the fish, he's, it's this intense moment. Um, and he's pouring out this passionate prayer. But what happens is, if you analyze that, there's not a little phrase in that, in that prayer that is uh, original. It all originates from the Psalms. But the very cool thing about it, it's not just one psalm, it's not two psalms joined together, it's a little element from this psalm, a tiny little phrase from this one, all my, all your waves and breakers have swept over me from another psalm. And he says, so what's happening is it's like this overflow of the heart, but it's informed by scripture. And 
that is the best way to songwrite, in my opinion. That you pour out your passion for God, you let your heart overflow, but maybe you've fed on scripture mm. and you've been around the Bible so much that what comes out is essentially biblical. It's the it's themes from scripture, but maybe um sung in a new way. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, if you could head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It really helps us connect with more worship leaders over there. And if you haven't connected with us personally yet, head over to thechurchcollective.com and hit the contact form. We would love to connect with you and connect you with others. God bless you today.